ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. This is episode 15. Uh, good morning, good morning, that, everybody in the podcast world. Good morning. I know, right? Uh, if you're hearing, uh-oh. Hearing, uh-oh, uh, what? Your your video froze. You're, like, looking out the window. No. My head. Weird. Because you're, you're fine. I'm seeing you just fine. Oh, there we go. Okay. Let's cut that part. <laughs> so one thing you guys will notice is that um, my internet is perfect today. Uh, <laughs> Andre's internet, maybe not so much. Yeah, now <laughs> I'm having problems. So anyway, thank you guys for joining us. Um, it's been a, a, a pretty fun start of the week for me. Um, Why is that, Andre? Because I didn't sleep at all last night. I literally got two hours of sleep. You said it was <laughs> a fun start to the week. Today's Wednesday. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's like I missed a whole day's worth of sleep. It's okay. really awful. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. <sighs> you know, I was struggling with that same thing. Uh, my doctor prescribed some uh, medicine called gabapentin. Um, right. And told me to take that before I fall asleep. It's been surprisingly helpful. Like it doesn't like um doesn't make me drowsy and it doesn't even like knock me out, but I just I have less trouble falling asleep and I stay asleep throughout the night, which is nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think once things go back to normal my sleep will probably and hopefully uh get a lot better. So Yeah, we'll stress see. does uh crazy things to you, you know. Yeah, the weird part is the way I guess I handle stress. It's not very external, so um, I probably don't know if I'm stressed, but I'm probably stressed. See, and you and I are exactly alike in that regard, where we, I think, internalize so many, you know, of our, like, things that we're processing, right? And I think especially things that don't necessarily make sense to us, where we're kind of like, on one side being like, well, you know, like just remain calm. Like this isn't that big a deal. You're stuck at home. Yeah. But I mean, like even you and I, like we work from home anyways. Right. Like right. It, it's the really, the big difference is like, you don't have that opportunity to see as many of the people that you may have, you know, spent time with outside of your home. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's just, it's interesting, you know, the fact that, but I think, yeah, I think being a parent, there's another element to it, right? Because it, yeah. you're kind of also very concerned just about like, well, okay, what is this ultimately going to mean in terms of, you know, like how do we come out of this and what do things look like going forward, right? Like what is what is the future in a world of pandemics, you know, look like for our kids? Yeah, you're right. I, um, I, I yeah, all that stuff's probably in my head at some level and I just haven't really needed to deal with it. So I guess, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> that stuff will keep you up at night. <laughs> I mean, I think that's exactly what I was dealing with, you know, and it's just a lot of a lot of difficulty kind of processing that stuff. And so when I was laying down trying to fall asleep, you know, that's like my that's when my brain was like, all right, let's spend some time and think about this. And I'm like, no, I don't want to think about that. I just want to go to sleep. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, huh? It's interesting. Cooking. So uh, Tetsu the other day, she made some uh, like a, a homemade pizza mm -hmm. with vegan sausage and all the vegan 
things. It was really, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like pizza. And I, and I think if hopefully once more restaurants look at plant-based alternatives, it's going to be a good thing for me. So like I don't, I don't eat out that much anymore. So are you a, are you a deep dish pizza fan at all? I know you're a New York guy, but, but I also yes, know but... that you spent some time in new in Chicago. So yeah, I, I didn't know. I if... always get pissed when I would go to like uh Harry Carey's or someplace like that. Like what is, it's like a casserole. <laughs> well, the only reason I ask is because there is a, there's a deep dish pizza place uh, in Chicago that is doing frozen pizzas uh, that they're, delivering like mailing out um that you can order and they have vegan pies really Um, yeah vegan vegan chicago style pizzas so we we haven't ordered any yet because i'm i'm like you like i'm not a huge chicago style pizza fan but it's one of those things like when you see you know a vegan option you're always kind of like ooh, well i might have to try that (laughs) (laughs) i mean last weekend um we got we were we were sitting here going like oh what do we want to eat for dinner and we decided that we were going to order mellow mushroom right yeah and we were like because we always joke you know well okay well, if, if we order now it'll be here in about three weeks when they get around <laughs> to actually making it because um, I love that place I love their food the service is always like the people are very nice but God they're so high they just cannot cannot move faster than a snail's pace apparently. But so we we sat there and we were like, well, if we're going to order, we might as well go ahead and order two pizzas. (laughs) So we got two large vegan pies and just sat there and ate leftovers for lunch and dinner for, you know, like a week straight, Um, which is fantastic. Like we ate every last piece of pizza. uh, So it ended up working out. But, you know. Yeah, I um, yeah, I have. I have mixed feelings about mellow as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've covered some of that in the past. <laughs> yeah. I just have such mixed feelings. So I made, um, I, I made, it was not, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it was not even close to an authentic Philly cheesesteak last night. Um, the only prepared seitan that we could find at Sprouts was like a Chipotle flavored one, which okay. wasn't bad. Um, right. But the seitan strips were like, they were more like, um, like fajita steak you know chunks and i should have sliced them thinner you know to do the philly cheesesteak and i I just i was getting late and so i just threw it in the pan as it was but um it was okay like it wasn't it wasn't bad um you know i i really just want to get some plain seitan and be able to do that again um but i don't know if you have had this issue but um i can't find flour anywhere so the wheat gluten flour, the only place to buy it really is Whole Foods. Well, but and, I'm talking about any flour in general oh, at any the grocery store. <laughs> oh, no, because uh, we have like uh, probably 15 pounds of flour for some reason in my house. Oh, um, okay. So, so you're part know. of the problem. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is prior to. Right. Um, and... Yeah, the, but as far as wheat gluten goes, the only place you can really find it is like uh, Whole Foods and Lowe's Foods has like a smaller package. Um, to your point about the seitan, I, I haven't really made any mixtures lately because like, like we talked about before, cooking at home is getting kind of stale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the best way with seitan is just to make it yourself. Like 
that's yeah. the only way to go. Like the stuff you can purchase from the store is not that bad, but you kind of miss some of the flavor in my opinion. So, so yeah, like the, the, I think it was the West soy brand that I tried before. Um, that wasn't bad. Um, I have not tried making my own at home yet, but um, right. that's on my list. Oh, funny story. So, um, we had done a thrive market order a while ago. And one right. of the things that Christy ordered was TVP, this textured vegetable protein. Have you tried cooking yeah. with that yet? Yeah, I have. Okay. Would you like four packs of it? <laughs> because <laughs> I've been looking for it. Couldn't find it. We were going to do a thrive market order. They have not had any, like they keep saying they're not taking orders. Um, and so, we both, uh, unaware uh, or unbeknownst to each other, went on Amazon and ordered multiple packs uh, of TVP. And then we're like, hey, guess what? I just ordered this TVP. Like, so I ordered a four-pack. She ordered two four-packs. So I've got 12 packs of TVP sitting in my house. And I like TVP. I can make a lot of stuff with it, but I don't think I'm going to use 12 packages of it. <laughs> So if you want some, I'll come drop some off sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, it sounds dope, man. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of of the plant based. Like, there's a lot of things you can do plant based. We we've been eating a lot of mushrooms lately, and Gross. I really really enjoy mushrooms. Yeah, <laughs> I I can't. I just I've never been a mushroom guy. I I can cook them for other people, but I just you know unless it's like cream of mushroom soup that was in something like I could just never get into mushrooms i just it's a texture and a taste and people are like oh they don't taste like anything i'm like well then they sure should do on my pizza like i taste it every time i sit there well, and pick that shit out the slimy little bastards there were yeah there were some dishes <laughs> I, I wasn't really a fan of but we've been substituting uh mushrooms in a lot of peruvian dishes and it's really good so nice Again, goes back to flavor profile and blah, blah, blah. What seasons are you using? Blah, blah, blah. But yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, I think that's the funny thing about plant-based cooking is I think you actually end up with more flavor, you know, right. like, because, you know, and like I get to some degree because I always, when I was eating meat, like I appreciated like a nice simple ribeye with just some salt and pepper and butter, you know, like it didn't have to be super complex. The flavor of the meat was, you know, something that I was, you know, that that's something that you were looking for in the dish. Right. And obviously right. Like, that component isn't in, you know, plant-based meals, but I think you ultimately end up with a more flavorful dish, like a, a dish with more complex flavors because you're, you don't have that thing that you're just kind of like, Oh, well I'm just going to slap this on the plate. And like, that's my meal, you know? And I, that sounds really like, I don't know, derogatory towards <laughs> meat eaters. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's, you know, not that like plant-based cooking is more complicated or better, you know, or anything, but I'll leave it at that well, before I offend some more people. If you're not offended, we're not doing it. No, it's not true. <laughs> I, I mean, that's true of, for some people, but yeah, I kind of um, like I. I was looking at Twitter like yesterday, not well, because you know I better wanted, than that. I know, but I was trying to figure out um, 
a couple things. One, like, I'm going down a rabbit hole of trying to understand in- internet advertising because I think that, like, now with the fragility in our economy, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Um, and I say that because when you go to a website, unless they have, like, something to buy, how are they making money? Unless it's a big publisher or something like that. So I'm kind of still in the camp of, you know, well, I actually have to take that back because people don't buy magazines anymore for the most part. Everything is almost subscription. Um, but I've been trying to understand how people make money on the Internet as far as like, you know, blogs and et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. And I, I was looking at social media because, you know, although there's a lot of advertisements, you know, what's, what does that really mean? Like what type of information are they putting in front of people's faces? Um, just out of curiosity, it's like out of curiosity. Um, yeah. So anyway, I was looking at social media yesterday and, um, it's interesting. Like once you start to prune through all the crap and garbage, it's still kind of noisy, but, (laughs) um, less crap comes through when when you take out the crap and garbage you find there's still crap and garbage <laughs> but there's less of it than there was before yeah it's insightful <laughs> yeah I, it's, it's... I mean look there's there are lots of valuable you know things to to learn i think on social media you know like um it's uh, twitter you know, it's like I, it serves a purpose in a sense. You know, if you're if you're really into kind of like late breaking news, or you you or more specifically, like you're into people's opinions on the what's happening right, right now. Um, you know, like it's good for that, I guess. But I just I don't know. I'm I'm with you. Like, and for the most part, I found myself engaging less and less in social media um, in general. And I think part of it is because it's become so flooded with advertisements and part of it is because I don't, I don't usually find a lot of value. Like, you know, like, um, I just, the other day, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but it's like, I start stuck my nose in a Facebook argument that I knew I shouldn't have, <laughs> you know, but it was one of these things where like the guy just kept posting all this ridiculous crap day after day after day and nobody was saying anything. And I was just like, hey, you ever think that maybe everything you just said is wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even tell him he was wrong. I just asked him if he ever thought, like, what if everything that you just said was not correct? Like, just for a second. That's a good good opener. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, idiot. You're wrong. I didn't call him an idiot. You wanted to. You wanted to. Well, yeah, of course I did. It's time for politics. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I. I think that um, you know. I've been really pondering. Like, um, like our supply chain is falling apart. Um, unemployment numbers keep going up. My gut's telling me that it's going to take eighteen to twenty-four months for the economy to kind of rebound. Uh, we're going to see a cycle of jobs that, that are replaced with lower salaries. So I'm just kind of like my, I'm trying to figure out in my head, what does this look like in the big picture? I, I just don't really see like a, a, there's no rosy outcome. 
uh, like one of my biggest fears in 08 and 09 was that if companies figured out how to get the same output with less people, they wouldn't change. Um, I think that's exactly what you're going to see with especially companies that put people on furlough. Right. You know, that, um, where they're going to come back and very shortly thereafter, some of those people aren't going to be there anymore and they'll pitch it or spin it as a, you know, a cost saving move or, you know, uh, uh, well, because of the virus and everything that happened, you know, we have to make some adjustments in order to, you know, maintain profitability. Right. Um, yeah. Because that's, you know, again, like for those corporations, that's what it boils down to. It's not about taking care of the people. You know, they don't they don't feel any sort of, you know, real responsibility. You know, at least I think there are very few organizations out right. there, you know, that right. that feel that way. Um, and so, yeah, like I, you know, I hope, like you said, right, not only do people have a long memory, but I hope that people continue to pay attention to what happens after things start to reopen. You know, right. like I think, um, pay attention to what companies are doing and and the changes that they make right afterwards, because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to think, oh, people aren't paying attention anymore. You know, we can lay off half our workforce now, right? Because we brought them back and and all of that. But I think you're absolutely right. I mean, 18 to 24 months in terms of a recovery period, I think is probably pretty accurate because. You know, I mean, what's going to happen when they do start to reopen things and you have all these people who have been furloughed who go back to work and all of a sudden they owe two, three months worth of rent or mortgage payments or bills and those companies aren't going to do anything for them at that point. I mean, most of them, right? (laughs) They're going to turn off their power. They're going to foreclose. They're going to evict them. Um because there won't be any protections in place at that point. You know, I mean, there's hardly any in place at this point. There are people that are getting evicted right now because they are out of work because of the virus, you know? And it's like, it's just, I, I just, you know, and I, if you're a, if you're a, a you know, a, a property manager or a, you know, a, a homeowner who's, who's renting out to people, like, how, why? Like, why are you going to go and evict people right now? You know? Yeah, I, I was, you know, I've always kind of felt that people that invest heavily in real estate, typically they're pretty cash heavy. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they could, uh, you know, forgive rents or whatever that for some type of term. But, you know, the, just the inevitable greed is, is a problem. And I, and I think our economy is going to suffer. And I, you know, I, I'm a capitalist and I, I hate to say it, but I, I just feel like, you know, people are going to forget very quickly the actions companies take. You know, I, I saw the news article about uh, Shake, Shake, uh, Shake, 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 yeah. Shake Shack. Yeah. Um, somehow it made sense. They, they have like a, a couple hundred locations, 45 employees plus, and they applied for a loan. Right. Well, and that's because part of the way, the way that that program was written in the bill that Congress passed was it was essentially each location had to have fewer than 500 employees. So if you were a franchise like that, right. Um, that it doesn't, it didn't matter. 
you know, like but that makes sense. I mean, like I, this is where I'm on both sides of the fence, yeah. right? Because I know people that own franchises, yeah, you know, five to six plus locations that have seventy plus employees uh, per location, and I'm sure it's tight. So I, I kind of I get that. Well, and I think on an individual location basis, yes, like. I I would not have any issue with them being part of the small business loan program, right? But right. my understanding was that like Shake Shack Corporate was the one that applied and was therefore receiving this, you know, million or ten million dollar ten million dollars. Again, I'm I'm on the fence. It's like um I'm not saying they should keep the money because I'm sure they're large enough to where they should have like some reserves left. So that's why I'm on the fence about it. Well, yeah, and I think so. I agree, right? Like, I don't have any issue with with any organization really, like that needs it, right? Having access to that to those funds. I think you know the problem lies in that what ended up happening is you saw a lot of corporations that you wouldn't think are necessarily hurting for money right now, right? right? who also have the ability to go out and leverage all of the assets and, you know, equity that they essentially have built up in their corporate, in their corporation in order to get a loan from somewhere else going in and taking money from this program to the point where there's none left. And now you have actual small businesses, not, not medium size or these, you know, corporations that have a, you know, a bunch of franchises, but actual individually owned, you know, or mom and pop shops who are looking to try and get these loans who have absolutely nothing left. And the government's basically going, well, you know, sorry, we had to give it to these guys first. And, and I think that's, you know, the government should have done two things. One, they should have wrote the bill as is, like what the intent of the bill should have been, number one. Number two, they should have done it in phases. Yep. Um, the fact they did not do it in phases is what causes the the financial system to kind of you know choke on itself, and you know that's kind of how I see it. But aside from all the the mechanics of it, our, it's going to take eighteen to twenty four months for our economy to bounce back. Um, well, and I, the reason I kind of brought that up was just because I think you're going to see a lot of small businesses that go under, you know, and so it's gonna yeah. it's gonna be a while before they start to open up again and there's going to be i mean the people who own those small businesses could very Dude, likely if they go under they're dead right they you lose understand. their house i mean like they lose everything they have right yeah so i mean what what did you say like 80 percent of the yeah you know the workforce. People, the workforce works for small businesses right like so let's say we lose 20 percent, right or even 10 percent. so right. <laughs> Eight percent of the workforce, right there. Yeah, I I just don't. Um, I, I can like in my head, I haven't like really. I've thought about it a lot, but I haven't really thought about the repercussions of what could happen and wh what it's going to look look like. So think about like a small marketing agency in Raleigh, right? Probably mm -hmm. fifteen twenty employees. They don't have revenue coming in, so they're probably strapped for cash. Uh, whatever they have in cash flow, probably exhausted by now. Where do those, let's say they cut half of their 
their employees. Well, guess what? They they still don't have revenue coming in because that's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. So you probably you probably buy like eight to ten months of time if you have cash. And that's all you're doing, right? If you're getting yep. rid of people, you know, I mean, is it you're basically sitting there going, OK, I can afford to keep X number for what I think it's going to take for us to come back, which, you know, at this point, they're probably estimating about six months, you know, for some places. Um, and, it, and I think it really just depends because I think as we've seen from, I think, you know, Governor Cooper here has talked about it, that it's not going to be an on off switch. You know, it's not going to be, hey, we're closed today. Tomorrow, everything's open. Go back to work. It's going to be, a, you know, a gradual increase of things opening up and, why people can't seem to understand that or understand that you can't you can't sit here and go well look it's it you know it's not that bad here because everybody's staying home open everything back up now like you know it's it's not like a hurricane right it doesn't the threat doesn't pass because it doesn't seem that bad right now you know, uh, like, I mean, another analogy would be stepping outside in the middle of the eye of the hurricane and going, <laughs> hey, like, look, everything's fine. You know, uh, let's go back to the beach. <laughs> let's go <Right>. swim. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just I'm really like uh, I'm puzzled. This has been something I've been thinking about for I'd say about a, since last time we talked. It's like because you know, I've been watching CNBC and my, it's one of my favorite channels, although um it just bothers me like it's like our economy is i don't care about institutionalized investors i don't care about the people that are that are you know that are in some shape or form investing the market yeah the reality is you're about to lose your entire customer base so if people aren't buying things you have no customers so it doesn't really matter to oil right yeah I mean, nobody's driving, and all of a sudden, gas prices are down to a dollar sixty-nine uh, down the street here. I went to the gas station this morning across the street from that one. It was closed. Well, there you go. All of the pumps were turned off. Remember what I told you before? Like, if you want to get a good idea of how the like an economy is doing, look at parking lots. Yeah. Look at your gas stations. You even know? the grocery store. You know, even I mean, grocery- like one of the most essential although you know it is pretty funny that uh lowe's home improvement at least on the weekend is packed yep same in apex i don't get it it's like you guys don't and you know like i went because i I had ants coming in through a crack in the window and i had to get some caulk in order to seal it like it wasn't it was i wasn't going just to peruse you know to waltz around or yeah to to go get some plants for my garden and I, i i get it like i know that it sucks being stuck inside you know and like to some degree if you can go do that and do it by yourself and do it you know, following the safety guidelines, then I think that's perfectly fine. My issue is like you and your wife don't both need to go to the store together. Right. Right. Now that's an extra person that's there for absolutely no reason. It's the same thing at the grocery store. So so when I went this morning, because it was out of coffee, I go to the grocery store and there's, I see a woman shopping and then I see a dude and then I, they have two carts and they came together and they start comparing what they have on the list. And I'm just like, why are you both here? (laughs) <laughs> we go in shifts like we literally in my house we go in shifts yeah and like you know i mentioned before we uh we only shop for the week um <laughs> just so that way we're not 
you know, we're not part of the problem and we're not exposing ourselves and we're yep. limiting the amount of possibilities of something going south. Exactly. Um, yeah, but I, I, I tell you what, my friend, like, I, I'm like really, I'm not stressed over the, econ- over the economy in general because it's not my job, but um, it will impact our daily life. You know, I'm not saying like, I'm not taking a politician standpoint where it's like the economy is everything. You know, it's important, but the people are probably going, you know, it's going to, it's a little bit of both. Well, so, that's, I mean, that's, I think the point, right. Is it's like the people are the economy ultimately. And what's going to end up happening here. If, if more isn't done to provide support and assistance for the people that are going to come out of this, you know, without a job when they went in with one, right. Right. Without the ability to pay for, you know, their families, you know, life essentially what happens to those people right does the, do we just say well hey that sucks to be you you know i mean because in the past that's been kind of the american way right like hey that's that's capitalism baby yeah that sucks uh you know go stand in line at the welfare lo- uh you know office like good luck and, and then what are we doing right like then we're just putting all those people on welfare right or unemployment and so then we're just taxing the system and drawing money out from that again so it's like wouldn't it make way more sense to be proactive and say you know hey if you you know have a freaking form and it's like hey you know if you become became unemployed show you know prove that you were employed prior to the virus and that you know you lost your job during the virus and yada yada like here's some assistance for you so that you don't have to go on welfare you know well, you know what happened in 08 and 09 after we kind of started to come out of it was underemployment shot to the roof. Um, and, and I think that this is going to be that times. If I, I, I'm not a doom and gloom type of guy. No, it's just reality. I mean, look at yeah. what's already happened to unemployment, you know, and it's yeah. not the longer this goes on, you know, like the, the more people that are going to end up losing their jobs. Like, believe me, I feel incredibly fortunate right now to work for a company that essentially said we're not changing anything you know in terms of our support for you or you know you know what we think your value is to the company like you know we want to make sure that's a sign of a healthy company but what we're seeing now is the fact that you know this there's a lot of unhealthy companies out there yeah this pandemic has exposed has exposed a lot and you know it means there's a lot of unhealthy companies well, and so, you know, it's interesting if if what we talked about or what I talked about ends up happening where, you know, once this is done and, and, the, un, and the furloughed employees come back, but then there's massive layoffs, you know, I, I know we had talked a little bit on social media about, um, it, you know, just the possibility of, you know, like the unionization of, you know, more workforce. And I, I wonder if you saw you know, massive layoffs after something like this. Um, if that's something that would, if that would drive people even more or motivate, you know, more people in the workforce to be part of, you know, to unionize and say like, Hey, that's really messed up, man. Like if you're going to get rid of them, we're all walking out too kind of thing. But so let's, let's dive in. Let's talk about some like hard, (laughs) hard politics. (laughs) I mean, most people work for small to medium-sized companies. 
there, there's not the there's not the environment in the United States for it to be heavy unionized. Um, it, so I know in this area, the average small business makes about like you're doing good if you break a million dollars a year in sales or revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think about it, if you're making a mil, let's say you're making one point, well, it's just to easy math, a million dollars in revenue. And you're able to, you know, have like, 10 to 13% free cash flow. What, and that's, that's assuming you do some reinvestments into your company. Yeah. Well, that's not a lot of money. It's just, you can't, I mean, you can't squeeze, you can't create this union mentality and think a business is going to survive. I had somebody tell me one time, cause I was actually considering like doing a food truck. Mm-hmm. And it was going to cost, like, give or take, on the low end, 70000 the high end, like, one and a quarter. And they gave me some good advice. You're going to, you're going to bust your butt for seven days a week and make sixty grand a year? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's, that's a good point, you know? And that's like you're, you know, provided a decent year. Right. Like, and you're able to get, you know... Uh, just a, a, a good layout right right i mean i think you know the, like the food truck business works if you have a, a brick and mortar restaurant that you're supporting with it because then you can leverage the food truck to go out and attract new customers right like you can go to yeah. areas where they're not familiar with you and be like oh yeah this is where we are um but yeah i mean like if you're a standalone food truck like yeah it's not you know maybe if you were in san francisco but then like you'd pay for parking and that would make you go right <laughs> so <laughs> my point of that is like at some point it's not even it's not even like beneficial to be in business for yourself so that's why i never pursue that idea i'm like yeah if i even my projections say like probably three to four years i'm barely cracking six figures and take home yeah and that's like with minimal cash flow um at the time i was going to open up a restaurant and it was a Peruvian base, a freaking oven, the, the right oven I needed to do the rotisserie chicken mm -hmm. it from Peru, even used was $62,000. Yeah. And that's excluding the lease. And with restaurants, it's all about location. So all the, all the sites I looked at, I'm looking at like seven to $8,000 a month and, and just a lease. And then when you think about the equipment outlay, it's like, yeah, and I'm probably going to, I won't even break 10% free cash flow. So if we squeeze companies to where it's, it's no longer beneficial for cash flow or to, to see yourself getting ahead, close, close this, you know, close it, sell it, call it a day. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it, you know, it's not, I think it's not so much that, I think even in small businesses, though, you do see in some cases, right, what it boils down to is whether or not the small business is treating their employees correct, you know, properly. Right. Right. Are you, if you're taking care of your employees, then you don't really have any threat or worry of unionization because there's no need. Right. right. Ultimately, if they feel like they have, you know, the ability to to you know, voice their concerns or voice their opinions and that there's somebody that listens to them and, um, there's a solution. There's a solution. Yeah. Like that's, 
that's the best route to go, you know? And I think, but what it boils down to is when companies, right. And, and people within organizations get greedy and they start, which I think you've kind of seen in a lot of the, the larger organizations, right. Uh, in America where you have, you know, multi-million dollar a year CEOs and other executives and, you know, who are using, you know, people that are working for peanuts to essentially make their, you know, or even better taking advantage of their customers, like the whole banking industry. Right. Um, yeah. I don't think politicians are, are ready for that argument. Uh, a lot of them come from private industry. They come from the private sector. Uh, a good majority of them are, are attorneys. <laughs> so it's like, they're not going to cut off their, their nose to spite their face. But they smell the poop on the floor, so it's like, why are you, why are you pretending? So I don't think unions are going to be the solve. I think that, um, I don't, I don't know. I, it's easy for me to say, close up doors and just call it a day, or did you grow too fast, or why don't you have enough cash to, um, at least lessen the impact of this of this pandemic. Uh, there's a lot of things that have been, ex- again, there's been a lot of things that have been exposed and some companies should fail. Um, hopefully things rebound though. That's, that's going to be the hard part. So, and I don't, I, sorry, go ahead. I, I don't have an answer for it, but it's just something I've been pondering. Sports. So did you see that the XFL has closed up shop already? Yeah. Which is, I think, unfortunate. Um, you know, it, it looks at least to this point, that they are not going to, they have no plans to restart. Um, you know, they've essentially just gone like, well, that that sucks. Um, well, they already paid all the contracts. It's, it's just like they're not, they weren't big enough to. Well, right. They, I mean, they hadn't been around a long, they weren't, uh, they hadn't been around long enough to be established and have really made any money. Right. I mean, like they invested all of the money up front in order to get things started with the hope that advertising and everything else would come around. Um, but you know, it's, um, I just, I was hopeful that, you know, and I think you and I talked about it, that there would be a push from the XFL, you know, for some changes, um, in the NFL, but, Obviously, that that won't be much of a of a factor now. Um, but speaking of the NFL, did you see that uh, Gronkowski signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? No, I did not. <laughs> wow. So, dude retires because he's tired of getting hit in the head and had too many concussions. And the moment Brady gets traded, he's like, "Oh, you know, I could go play again. I got one more season. Yeah, you know, it- as long as I don't have to play for Bill Belichick, I'll be fine." Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I saw that Von Miller got uh, COVID nineteen, which kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen with sports. Man. <laughs> it's like the same. I mean, the I'm, crazy the crazy I'm solution upset. that baseball was trying to come up with, where they're like, "We'll move everybody to Arizona, and they'll just live in isolation, like in a biodome, and." They'll play with no fans for an entire season. And, you know, (laughs) 
It's like, yeah, I don't think you're going to get a bunch of grown men that get paid millions of dollars a year to go live in Arizona for four months without seeing anybody. Like, no family, no, you know, like, was it one of the guys, like, just had a kid, like, this month? And it's like, you're going to leave for four months and not see that kid? Like... It's like being in the Navy. I saw uh, uh, somebody was interviewing a basketball player, and they were like, hey, if I'm being honest, we could play with no fans. A lot of us started playing on the playground with no yeah. fans. So that's interesting, and I know that um, the owners of the teams are probably trying to recoup and keep their investment, but I, I don't feel sorry. Ultimately, the, the issue is, right, with – with any of those sports, like it's not, it's really not about the fans. It's the fact that you have players coming in contact with each other player. And then they go come in contact with other players and other locations. And so it's just the potential for the transmission of disease, not to mention all of the additional personnel that are associated with the teams, the coaches and the trainers and, you know, all of those people, like it's, there is, there is a minimum number of people that are required to do that. And I'm, it's more than 10, like there's 10 basketball players on the, on the court at one time. Right. Like <laughs> I just, I, you know, and I, but same thing play with football. Yeah. Just play half court. <laughs> play three on three. <laughs> so all right, that's six plus a coach. That's eight. And then one trainer each or, or one one sub. So, okay, so we got four on a team and a coach, and that's three it. Three half court. And, I guess you don't uh, get subs if you're playing half court because you don't have to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be dope. <laughs> It'd be like oh, the dope half thing. court was always my favorite. I hated running full court. Yeah, I well, I used to I'm enjoy sure it. But, yeah, but um, it'd be dope for the NBA to just do like uh, NBA Jam style, <laughs> style games. That'll be so ill. I'll be like, yo, it's crazy. Life. So um, did, did we talk? I can't remember if we talked on the podcast last time about uh, Kyle Larson and the, the yeah, iRacing yeah, yeah. stuff. Okay. Dude. Yeah, like, that's right. Because I was reading some stuff about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. but So he, he got fired uh, since then. Yeah. Like they, they fired oh. him from the racing team. Actually, you know what, man? I, I don't know. It's just... I mean, look, the it, it wasn't even the team's decision, ultimately. It was the fact that they had every sponsor that they worked with said, look, we can't work with that guy. Like, we can't be associated with him. don't watch NASCAR. That's all I'm saying. They could have Well, okay. That... <laughs> there's an element <laughs> of that. I guess. And I do, I do need to make a correction. I think last time I said that Kyle Larson was Chinese American. He is Japanese American. So I just just wanted to correct. That's racist. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. Like I don't want to come across as racist. So I, I acknowledge that there is a difference between Chinese and Japanese and all other Asian cultures. So thank you. Um, But yeah, I just, I think we talked about it. Like it just, it was too, it was a hard R. It was, it was, it was hard and it was just, it just came bloop, just right out. I mean, it wasn't something he thought about. It wasn't. And I still just like, I mean, on what planet are you sitting there going, this is what I should say right now. Yeah. Yep. I don't, I don't know, man. It's like when, I'm not trying to soften the impact of that word on people, 
but it's it's a form of profanity in, in my opinion it's like uh eh, okay um it is but i think and look i mean honestly i think there are other words that he could have said that might have ended up having the same result without having necessarily the same impact that it did right you know and don't get me wrong don't get it twisted i'm not i'm not defending the guy it's just like yo if i'm being real though i mean you're right like it's it's a it is an essentially a profane word but i think you know like there is just there's there's so much kind of stigma and history associated with that word i got it you're preaching to the choir no i mean i I know like obviously (laughs) like my my point is let dude say that to my face right like let let be somewhere in public and that slip out like that's a different conversation like what's his name uh who was the wide receiver for the eagles who was at that concert and he said he said like he was gonna fight oh yeah 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 (laughs) My man, come on, man. You, you and then can't. they brought him back. They re-signed him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not again, I'm not trying to soften the impact of the of the N-word. And if I'm being honest, I hate even call it the N-word. It's just like, yo, I bet you twenty bucks you won't say that to my face. Like like when was it? I saw um was it, I think it was like Jim Brown, somebody doing an interview with Jim Brown at one point, and like they were talking about the n-word and he was like you know comparing it to something else and he was like say it say it to me right now and the guy's like well no and he's like no just say it and it's like that's the point you won't even say the word right, right now but you'll say the other one that we're comparing it to i don't even know which one it was it but <laughs> it's just like <laughs> but yeah i think i think you're absolutely right like you know and that's again where there's just a certain, I think people have this certain level of disconnect between, you know, like, well, it's, if I'm doing it on a computer screen, then it's basically like it's not real, you know, or somehow people aren't going to know that it was me. And it's like, dude, that's not how this works. Like, <laughs> What's funny to me about, about that word is that um, it's probably the only derogatory term I've heard used to classify a group of people or a person that could get you killed. Like, you know, yeah, there are, there are other words that you, that are, you know, I mean, I think in a lot of ways are kind of considered as bad, but you're probably right. Aren't as likely to get your beat to death. Like, yeah, you might, (laughs) you might catch the wrong end of the hand. Especially, especially if you're in the wrong place. (laughs) I mean, I've heard some pretty foul things said about Hispanics, Asian people. It's like, eh, that's a pretty messed up thing to say, but you're probably not going to get beat up for that. I think, what was it? Uh, Tom Segura had a pretty funny part in one of his things talking about, like, you know. Black people walk across the streets. <laughs> well, but it was, it was it was something about, like, uh, how basically you can you can use, a, like, derogatory terms if if it's essentially a white person, like whatever their culture is, as long as they're essentially a white person, like it doesn't matter what derogatory term you want to use to, to call yeah. them. But it's like, <laughs> if they're not, don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never been into like, um, I don't know. Um, like honky and cracker and 
Yeah, crackers. <laughs> the crackers not even that. It's not. It's even not. A bad that's point. just it. Like those words are not even close to on the same level, right? Like, like honky is so funny to it say. Is. It's just I, hilarious. You were, like you if you, if somebody if anybody ever called me a honky, I would be trying so hard not to laugh. Like just for fear of getting my ass beat at that point, probably. Like if I start laughing, this guy's probably gonna fucking kill me. <laughs> But I will, I mean, I will say words like, uh, you know, like I had, you know, incident at the place we used to work at, yo, like, it just, it takes so much out of you for somebody to be racist, like intentionally racist towards you. Like it really, like it sapped a lot of, like a lot of just my composure. Um, but that, I mean, dude, I mean, like any other day. Eh, and if I was younger, I probably would have beat the guy up. If I'm being honest, I just probably would have gave it to him. Like, yeah, that's what you want. All you need to do is say it. <laughs> like, yeah. but uh, I'm older now. It's like eh, you're not even worth it. Um, it won't even be fun, you know. But it does. I mean, I get words hurt, and it, but I think it's like you know when somebody's intentionally saying some jacked up stuff to you, like, and that's that's where. When people use, I think when people use that word, they kind of, they're embracing that emotion of anger and, and disdain towards another person. And that's what gets people triggered. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's what you want. But, you know. But it's a, that is said with the intent of getting under somebody's skin. Yeah. I want to get a reaction. Exactly. I, like, no, you, it, you're not saying that for your own edification. Like, Right. You're doing that with the intention of trying to piss somebody off, right? That's why it blows my mind when people keep, you know, bring, like the Tiger King. I saw this article about this, like things they missed about the show. Like he was a pretty hardcore racist. I'm like, all right. But um, he had an instance where like, why can't I say the N-word? I'm like, I wish they would have played that. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I hope, I hope that Tiger eats you, bro. I mean, so when white people say that, why can't they say it? It's like, I mean, you can say it, but there are consequences. Yeah, <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> you can totally say it. Like, I'm not going to stop you from, you know, you know, doing that. But you just, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I, I'm a big boy, right? But I, I can tell you, like, when something hurt, when you get your feelings hurt about something, it, it causes you to do some really messed up things. And I can say that honestly, I've had my feelings hurt, and like. There's a part of me that I just, I don't want to be that person. It's like, I don't have the energy to be that person because it's going to get me in trouble. But I don't know. It's, it's, it is, it is to the, all that naysayers out there, it is just a word. But the usage of that word is never typically found outside of black people in a, uh, a friendly way. So I think that's a good transition into something that I, I wanted to talk about, uh, yeah. which is, uh, I think we have both been watching, uh, black as fuck. Oh yeah. <laughs> <show's> dope, man. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, that show's so dope. oh my God. I think I've watched most of the first season, uh, watched the whole season. Yeah. I think I might have like an episode left and I, I gotta go back cause I think I missed one in the middle somewhere, but Every every episode of that show that I watch just makes me love it. So Does it make much you more. think? Yes. The way the the way um, I can't remember his name now. But Kenya. Kenya articulates 
what he's saying blows my mind. I saw it in Blackish, and I haven't really stayed up to date on that show, but this show, the way he articulates the pulse of the community, is just phenomenal. There's 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 so many good I just think, you know, points that are made throughout this show. And it's done with a really like creative and subtle hand, you know, like it's not just like beating you over the head with this stuff. There's because there's so much, so many elements of humor that get brought into it, you know? Right. And it's, but so much of it feels very natural. Like, I, obviously I know that's not his real family, but like, right. they, they feel like a family. I had Tetchy going with that. Oh, did you were like, that's his real family. Yeah. Oh, Cause that's Rashida Jones. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it um what i like about it is like so if you haven't watched the show i would suggest you do it like um it, it's it's not easy being black in america if i'm being honest and i think one of my favorite parts was the white gaze uh yeah like and the more and more i thought about it the more i've I realized like how much I've seen that. Yeah. I was just about to say, you, you know, you've seen that, right? You know, like the number of times that, that people completely change their behavior, you know, and the way and the words that they use and the mannerisms and the way that they talk. And it's just, and it's amazing. Honestly, <laughs> like what, what blows my mind about that show. And I, um, I don't know who I, somebody on the news they were talking about um, the stupidity of being woke, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've talked about that a yeah. number of times. But it's like if if white people or non-black people are watching it, they should not look at it as oh, this is really happening. But yo, let me check myself on that. It's not about privilege. It's like yo, how do you really treat people? Yeah. I mean, remember that time the dude was like, "And who are you?" <laughs> Like we're in a meeting and somebody legit says to me, and who are you? And what do you do? It's like, whoa, people don't treat or, other uh, or the time the guy asked if you needed a table. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's again, just like, I can't, I can't. All right. There. All right. So let me, let me put, tell people this. I wear glasses, but don't get fooled by the glasses. That's, that's the real number one. <laughs> Because they come off, but the the reality is, the way I talk, the way I act, the way I, you know, who I am comes from my culture, and it's not a bad thing. It's just it it is who I am. Like I appreciate people that like like mayonnaise a lot on everything. Like I don't I don't discriminate, but it's like it's hard, it's tiring, it's exhausting to be black. Like when dude was talking about, I don't know if you saw the episode about the clothes when he was like asking him, so why do you wear that? And, and, you know, this jumpsuit that mm-hmm. costs $1,000. Yo, you know how much pressure it is to be, to be black and go outside looking fresh all the time? Well, so that was one of the things. Yeah. Like that, that whole part where, um, you know, his daughter was talking about the history, right. Of like, you know, basically plantation slave owners would dress up you know, their quote unquote best slaves to take to church to show off to all the other quote unquote good Christian slave owners. Um, and so 
that became, you know, that presentation, you know, equals acceptance became so ingrained in, you know, black culture in, in America. Um, and, and I mean, it, it's something that like, I, I mean, up until that moment in that show that I never realized or understood, but then you look and it's like, it all kind of starts to make sense. Like all of that stuff adds up, you know? Yeah. And then when you look at presentation, you, you go into like where blacks have another thing that we need to work on is like, then throw being light skin on top of that. Like he's like, yo, I already got to deal with white people. I got to deal with my own people giving me crap because I'm light skinned. It's like that's not even dope, yeah. Like like put that somewhere else. I don't got time for that. Yeah, it's like you have to be blacker. It's like how how much blacker can I be? Like right. I mean, like, and that's right. You never hear like you know white people be like, oh man, he's not white enough. Like. You need more mayonnaise on that sandwich. Like yeah. your new balances I, aren't aren't pristine enough. Like, yeah, first of all, if I, if, nah, brothers better not be wearing a new balance. But um, I was <laughs> I was in a meeting and I actually said, uh, talking about one of my colleagues, because it was so. There were two times like where I for it's not I have that I have a script, but it's like there are some environments where I just react in a different way. There was one time I was asked about this employee and at an offsite and why he still worked for us. And my response was, if you would have let me do what I was going to do in the first place, I would have fired him six months ago. But the entire room shut up. It was just like, Oh crap. Angry black guy. I'm like, nah, it's just, <laughs> that's who I, it's, it's not being angry. It's like, yeah, I, I'm trying to play by your rules, although they're not effective. But every time I want to make this decision, you had something to say about it. Yeah. So don't come back at me and think that I'm just going to sit here and be like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> and the second time was when there was another colleague that um, he was just straight up lying man, in a meeting. And I said, like, look, man, I'm not even trying to put you in a blast. And the CEO of the company was like, he stopped everything and was like, what What do you mean put him on blast? Like, I was going to shoot the guy. I was like, no, I, just, I don't want to call him out and make him look like an idiot in front of everybody. <laughs> like, what do you mean put him on blast? Do we need to call security? <laughs> Charlie, get in here. Yeah, so it's it's <laughs> you know, it's exhausting being black sometimes, man. It's exhausting. That show is very refreshing because it's like, yo, it's it's so true. That's it, It's amazing. I mean, it's certainly, <laughs> if nothing else, like, I mean... Very eye-opening. I feel very woke now. Like, <sighs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but it is like. I mean, it was. It's like. First off, it's a. It's an amazing show. Like, it's just. It's a fantastic show. It is so well done. Um, you know. I almost it, didn't watch it. Really? Yep. Because I hate people exploiting my people, and the title alone made me skip it see and i get like that's part of the reason i never watched blackish was because right. i felt like it was just like exploitation right you know like i'm like okay but now i kind of like i'm like okay what have i been missing all this time like <laughs> fuck i gotta go back and watch these other shows <laughs> they're great i mean it's like uh the it's yeah, I'm glad. I hope you don't feel woke. But I, do you no, hope you- I, of course I don't feel woke because <laughs> I would never ever use that word to describe myself. No, because look, the truth of the matter is, 
it's a never ending education. Right. Right. Like I will never understand what it is to be a black person in America. Right. Like I will actually, never. Actually, I mean, you understand part of it. Social distancing. Well, <laughs> I may experience elements of it from time to time. But I mean, the truth is, like, I'll never know what it's like. Like, I will, I won't ever experience truly what it is like, you know. And so for me, it's just like, it's always just about being open to learning more, right? Um, because ultimately, like, I, I want to be able to understand as much of what's happened to try and figure out exactly, like, what we can do to try and make things better going forward, right? Like, I don't want... I, I think one, I think one thing is going to happen, and um, I'm probably in the minority of, of this opinion, but I think black people as a whole, we need to kind of accept the fact that, yeah, that was 400 years of crap. Yeah, we kind of we're, we're skating through right now in present time, but we still have work to do. We still have, um, you know, it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility, especially to make sure that not that I'm an ambassador, but that I also strengthen the community uh, and that's hard because there's so many underlying issues in our own community that um, we kind of get lost and we can't, we can't breathe for a moment, you know? Um, but I think that there's a lot of important work to be done in the black community. Uh, you know, this is going to be a controversial thing I'm about to say, but I got to say it because like one of the things that's kind of robbed civil real civil rights in our country is the fact that the lgbtq community is now saying that it's their struggle is the same as ours and i'll be the first one to say that ain't really true yeah did you spend hundreds of years enslaved like were you know were you ripped out of your mother's arms and you know sent off to work on a plantation somewhere or put on a boat and sailed half across the world like no i'm sorry those things never happened to anybody in that group like well not anybody obviously but you know not specifically for those reasons yes like the lgbtq Q community has had its own struggles right Right. and and you know like (laughs) but it it's just like so many things where you don't have to put some other group down or place yourself on the same level of another group in order to justify you know your right to existence you know or or your right to 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 be recognized as a you know or or your right to to rights right to like (laughs) to human rights like (laughs) Ultimately, that's what that's what everybody, I think, wants. Right. We just want like those those basic human rights afforded to us, regardless of our color of skin or our sexual preference or, you know, anything like that. Like, yeah. And I, and I, I hope that um, I really do hope that, you know, the black community continues to and I had to say struggle, but to keep moving forward. Um, and hopefully that happens. And hopefully I can impact it for, you know, my small community that I'm involved in. But it's hard, bro. It, it pisses me off that people still see Jay-Z as just a rapper. It's like, oh, he's a billionaire, yeah. you know. It pisses me off that, you know, the only the only time you get, you get shown any type of love, and I put that in air quotes, is when you're an athlete or an entertainer. But as soon as you're not giving the goods, nobody cares about you anymore. So that just pisses me off. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, I, race is race is a big thing, bro. I'm not gonna lie. 
like I was talking to one of my brothers about this and, uh, and I, I was like, yo, you know, what's funny. I don't agree with Ben Carson's politics, but he's a world renowned neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny that as a community of black people, we just kind of threw him out. <laughs> like, All right. You know, like politics. And I think that's kind of a double standard. It's like, yeah, I don't have, like politically, I don't agree with everybody, but I do think that he's an, ex he should be an example of what blacks can do in this country outside of sports and entertainment. Absolutely. Um, sure. His politics don't really care, but I mean, he's done something a lot of people can't do. Uh, so that, that's something that kind of blew my mind. It's like, yo, we have people out there that are doing big things outside of those two realms but if we don't like something about them, we, we discard them. So, could I can I ask a question? Where, yeah. like, where does Obama fall in that? Right? I mean, oh, that he's Jesus. Okay. And, um, but not for everybody, though. You know, that's that's the really weird part, right? Uh, I mean, because it, it seemed to some extent that you know you, Obama struggled to be accepted by. President Obama. Yeah, sorry. President Obama <laughs> struggled to be accepted by parts of, you know, that community. Um, yeah. I mean, because then you get the you're not black enough, like, um, argument sometimes. Well, that with, a, with a name like Barack Obama. Like. Barack, Barack San Obama. <laughs> That's I was one of my favorite jokes from uh, Parks and Rec. Huh? It's one of my favorite jokes from Parks and Rec. Oh yeah. When, one of my favorite things is when uh, Trevor Noah was talking about how when President Obama met uh, Nelson Mandela. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, that is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Hussein Obama. Um, <laughs> that you know it drives Tenchi crazy. I keep practicing. I'm gonna get it down. I'm gonna get a great Mandela impersonation. But. Um, you know, I, I, uh, it's time for politics. I think, and the reason I, I keep stressing President Obama is because what pisses me off is that a lot of journalists, after President Bush was out of office, they still refer to him as President Bush. Mm -hmm. But, but not, not, President, but not Obama. President Obama. It's just like, yo, like, Forget Even politics. when he was in office, you know, yep. I think there was, it was, it was just Obama, you know, yep. like, thanks Obama. <laughs> you know? I mean, he's still the pre again, respect the office. You may not agree with the person on a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. It's, it's a tough road. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, President you know, Trump is an idiot, but I still call him President Trump. Yep. It's embarrassing to say, but he's still our president. Uh, but I think that, uh, I think President Obama, um, I again, I didn't agree with all of his politics, but I do. I'm very grateful I got to be alive to see the first and only black president. Because uh, <laughs> there will never be another one after that. Yeah, like, he didn't burn it all. Have made damn well sure of it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's uh, it's. I miss his candor. I miss his his level headedness. Um, I, um, as a president, I, again, don't agree with all of his policies, right. but I think 
Like that that's probably it. You know, it's just like, yeah, I think he was a, a good president. He was a good uh, leader. You know, I think like ultimately he was the steady hand on the wheel, you know, like Or he made you think he was. Sometimes. Right. Right. <laughs> he gave that impression, right? Like right. he I think even for people that didn't necessarily agree with him, you know, it there was still this sense that he kind of had it under control. Right. You know, or that he had people in place that he trusted to do what needed to be done. Um, and I mean, I, I think that's a big part of what is missing right now, you know, as I mean, personally, like I have no faith in anybody that is involved essentially with the current president's administration. Like I, I don't, I don't believe he has the ability to identify talented people and put them in positions of power to succeed because ultimately it has to be about him. And if you're not agreeing or supporting him or praising him and what he's done, then it doesn't matter what the truth is. It's, it's his way or the highway. And I don't, I don't believe you can ever successfully lead that way. No, you can't. Um, and I can tell you from the bruises and bumps I've had in leadership. Yeah. I used to be a crappy leader. And I became a better leader when I stopped calling myself a leader, first of all. And I started to realize that, yeah, well, I'm in it with these people. And uh, they're, they're trusting me to, not that I have it figured out, but at least can show a way to get something accomplished. Uh, or at least ask for advice. Or, you know, or, or the, you know, myriad of other things I could do. Um, President Trump, like, I've watched a brief amount of yesterday's briefing and the, like a cup one or two before then he looks tired and exhausted like even his answers to questions are from a, a point of he's been beat up and that's i'm not I'm, I'm not defending the guy i'm saying like as a human being you can see the toll yeah. that everything in his mind that he had built up is falling apart you can actually see it on his face you can hear it in his voice um which is, if you're a human being, if you have a heart at some at some level, you can appreciate that and respect that. You can relate uh, to it. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's going to, it may boil over at some point, and he may just have another outburst. But, you know, I don't feel for the guy because he wanted the office. Or maybe he got it on accident. <laughs> I haven't really feel that. We don't ever know. But I do think it's interesting that, um, you know, you can see the toll that this has taken on them in the last few days. It's really, it's actually really quite touching. I'm like, yo, this guy's feeling it right now. So, I mean, you know, I, I certainly, you know, I don't, I'm not thankful at all for, you know, anything that's happened here with the coronavirus. But I think to some degree, like, it's about time. You know, that like he felt the impact of what the rest of us are dealing with on a regular basis and not be so incredibly insulated. Because I think, you know, to your point, right, like true leadership exists when you understand that it's not you against the everybody that's on your team, right, or against the people that you're leading. Right. And it's not you're you are in no way or shape like really above them. Right. Like it's a team effort. You're in it with these people. And I don't think that that's ever been the way that he looks at, you know, that, that president Trump looks at his position. It's, 
you know, I am essentially above everybody because I'm the president. There is nobody else above me, right? Like in America, I am the equivalent of God. And so I'm just going to do whatever I want. And, oh man, people are getting sick. That really sucks. I know that's not going to happen to me. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I, I, I've, for my own sanity, I've stopped trying to figure out or read the guy because that's, um, it's painful. Because well, and I think ultimately, like the, he, he has a pretty good poker face. <laughs> like, I think that's part of what's, Actually, it's fallen apart. Dude. Well, it's starting to, but I think historically, like he's had a he's had a pretty yeah. good poker face. And I think he's the type of dude that if you like catch him in like in a conversation, he's going to try to dance around your words all the time and give you a half answer. And that's nobody the art of the is, deal. I mean, it's literally yeah. the only way that he exists. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything that isn't him trying to negotiate or, you know, get some advantage. Like every single conversation is an opportunity for him to get a leg up on somebody. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, you're right. He does have a good poker face, but I can, I can tell you, and that's probably a good assessment of how we try to deal with things. But, I can tell you that his armor is falling apart. Um, and it, it takes a lot for somebody that's so confident to like kind of start to show their weakness. Not that they're like, you know, conceding their position. But no, you but can... you start, like you said, you start to see the cracks in the armor, you know, yeah. like they're still standing tall, but you can see that they are not weathering the storm as well as they want you to think that they are. Yeah, right. like you find a like for me, I found a level of strength when I can actually like right now I can tell you like I'm not sleeping, I might be stressed, I can't really identify what the issue is, um, I'm I'm elated that my family's happy and healthy and we're all making it through this together, but I'm not at my best, you know. Yeah. I'm filling my time with things to help me to like uh, stay focused, and all that is because I know Andre very well and I know that I'm not okay. <laughs> so, but it also helps me to be okay for my family. But if I pretend like everything's, everything's awesome, then I'm going to be a terrible person for my friends and family. Um, and you know, my closest friends, I'll tell dude, if something's bothering me or if I, I don't have it figured out, it's so therapeutic just to tell somebody like, Hey, this sucks. You know, uh, and I don't have it figured out. So <laughs> it's like half um, the reason we do this podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it helps me work through my issues. No, um, but it's, it's true. Like when you can actually, you know, as a leader, like, and it doesn't mean that you have to be in charge of a team or something like that, but self leadership is important and it will pay dividends. The more honest you are with yourself. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, I've, I'll be honest, like I've gone through periods of my life where I've I've been lying to myself, you know, where where I realize like I've I've convinced myself what I'm doing is okay because it's something that I wanted to do or, you know, because it was comfortable and easy. Right. Um, but ultimately I know that I should be doing the more difficult thing, right? Yeah. And um, that takes courage to yeah, do that. It's 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 it can be very difficult to recognize it sometimes because you know, you can, your mind can be very convincing to itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like ultimately, 
you know, it's um, if, if you can recognize that and make the changes necessary, then, um, you know, I mean, it may, I think it just ultimately makes you that much stronger of a person, you know, like yeah. I think because doing that once, right, then the next time that you start to recognize those symptoms, right, you're more likely to, to catch it early and make a change earlier on and so on and so forth. So, yeah, and I, you know, I say all that to say this, I, I don't, I don't have any hard feelings nor do I harbor any ill will towards the president of the United States. I can tell you that I, I, I really do hate the guy. And that's, that's hard for me to admit to myself. And it's hard for me to say in public or verbally, but it's because I don't feel my spidey sense of telling me that he is not confident in his ability to do the right thing and do it consistently. Um, and I also, I'll understand that the governors of, of these 50 states and territories are more in charge than he is, but I'm, I'm more comfortable with what they're doing and their ability to, you know, except for Georgia and their ability to stay committed to trying to lead when things seem overwhelming. I am very irritated in his ability to accept the fact that it's overwhelming for him and he may not have a clue on how to solve it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's absolutely something you'll never hear him admit. Right. You know, um, I think 20 years from now, if he's still around, he'll be 93. He'll look back and, and still talk about what an amazing job he did, you know? Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's the problem when you deal with a narcissist, um, is that there is no amount of evidence, there is no amount of facts that you can provide to get them to change their mind. Like, because ultimately they've already done the mental backflips in their yeah. head to convince themselves that they are the only person who knows what's right. They're the only person who knows the truth. The entire world is out to get them. And they, you know, and that's, that's got to be one of the most depressing ways to live your life. I can't even imagine going through life like not having real connections with people ultimately because you can't see the value in anybody other than yourself. Life. My mother gave me some good advice when I was younger. I used to get in trouble a uh, fair bit. <laughs> Who, you? Yeah, just a little bit. Do your kids know that? Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> I don't It's not a secret. And um, I had gotten into a fight. And my mom found out about it. I won't tell you how. Well, let's just say that I needed her to help me to get home. <laughs> so, <laughs> and she goes, you know what? One day somebody's going to whip your ass and there's not going to be anything you can do about it. You know what I said to her in my overflowing amounts of wisdom? Mm -hmm. Well, I haven't met him yet. <laughs> and I've been thinking about that stupid conversation for well over 20 years <laughs> <laughs> because at some point in my life, something triggered where that conversation was that life was good. Like something, something must've happened in my life where I was just like on my, you know, on my butt just knocked out and it wasn't a fight. It was, it was life. It wasn't yeah. a physical fight. It was life that knocked you out. Yeah. And when I, when I realized that I was like, yeah, well, I'm really, um, I'm, pretty full of myself you know i'm not invulnerable and i have to be a little bit more cautious and 20 plus years later if not 30 ish i still think about that conversation and like you can't be too full of yourself 
Because when everything falls apart, what are you going to do? You know, something's going to get you. You don't know what it is. But you don't want to be so full of yourself that you can't recognize it. And you can't, then you're immobilized because of fear. You're immobilized because you got, you did get beat. You're immobilized because it did hurt your feelings. And, um, so I, you know, I really, you know, mom, if you're listening, thank you for that. Um, it took a little bit, but it finally, never met that guy though. (laughs) See, and that was going to be my follow up question. So did you ever meet that guy? No, man. One, I retired. One, I retired. Retired on top of two, it. I know karate. <laughs> just not a freak. Just like, like the worst thing that can happen to you in a fight is you get hit. Once you're over that, it's like it's all fair, yeah. you know. No, um, no, I mean that, that's funny because that is that is a conversation that you and I had several times um, at the place that we used to work together, and it. It took a while, but it that was something that finally stuck with me too. You know, is it's like, you know, the worst thing that can happen in a conversation with somebody is that they're gonna hit you. You know, like based on what you say to them. And so, if you can go into the conversation, kind of saying, "All right, well, if that's the worst that can happen, then, you know, you can just be honest with the person and tell them exactly what's going on." Yeah. Yeah, my. Uh my life lessons never come with they're not like like the cool ones. It's like the worst thing that can happen is like somebody's going to punch you in the face. No, but that is a cool one because I, I mean, that is something that I have struggled with for a long time. Like, I mean, conflict avoidance is like my number one thing. Like I, I am a people pleaser at my heart and I like to make people happy and I don't like, I don't like conflict. So I have in general, always avoided it which meant that i had a really hard time being honest with people when it was something that i didn't think they wanted to hear um and that got me in trouble a number of times (laughs) um i think probably the one that the biggest this is still my favorite story i mean i say favorite but it's, it's i feel like such an asshole um so I, when I was in college, I was going to NC State. I'd been there for, I think it was my fourth year. Yeah, I think. Uh, so I was I was expected to graduate, you know, at the end of the spring semester. Um, I knew about halfway through the spring semester that I wasn't going to have enough credits to graduate, but I was close enough that if I passed a couple of classes in the summer, like I could probably get by and get my degree. Right. Um, and so. I basically told my family because with state, they said, well, you can walk in the spring if you're going to finish up your degree in the summer anyways, because they didn't want to make you wait until the fall to walk and they don't have a walking ceremony in the summer. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll walk in the spring and I'll finish up in the summer. And so my family came out, everybody came. I didn't tell anybody, by the way, ahead (laughs) of time that that was what was happening. They all just assumed I was done with school at the end of the spring semester. Um, And so we go to the graduation ceremony. I walk. I get an empty diploma case, and everybody else goes to the back to get their diploma. And I walk up into the stands. And my mom's like, "Where's your diploma? Why didn't you get it?" And I was like, "I'll get it later. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it." And she was like, "Why wouldn't you want to go get your diploma?" And I was like, "No big deal. Let's get out of here." Um. So yeah, then I never graduated. 
Um, <laughs> so because, you left. Let's get out of here. Let's not come back. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, I mean, I went back to school. I, I, that semester I had ended up, that was when kind of the beginning of the end for me in college because I had, I'd started skipping so much class that I was failing classes that I basically never even showed up for. And so then my GPA got so low that I couldn't get out. Um, but the good news is for me, I white, so I didn't have to get a college degree to get a good job. Uh, hashtag white privilege. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be so hard, man. It's so hard being white. I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of pressure. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. There's a lot of pressure. All the on pennies. You. Yeah. All the pennies. No, it's uh. <laughs> yeah. I. You know what I, I. You know what I struggle with. Like, I'm not even a racist person, but sometimes white people piss me off, and I actually go. I actually, I pull the white card. I'm like, yeah, that's. A, that's such a white thing to do. That's I mean, some shit white people do. Yep. It's WPS, WPS all day. White people shit. But um, <laughs> I know the struggle is real, man. I know the struggle is real for white people. It's man. not. Shut up. We don't struggle. <laughs> I mean, okay, look. And this is something that I was, I've been thinking about during this whole pandemic and everything is that, you know, and, and I think I have to be careful in the way that I say this. Racism, racism is not dead, right? Like yeah. it, it, racism and and strictly, you know, based you know, based on race is not dead by a long shot in this country. But there is, I think, like a slightly new flavor to racism, and it is more about classism, right? Or the there there's the classism that's now gone gone along with it, right? I've been saying that for years. And and I think that's one of the things you're starting to see in the midst of all of this is that it's not so much that politicians are necessarily sitting there going, we don't care about black people, right, or minorities. It's we ultimately don't really give a shit about poor people, right? Yeah. And I think part of it, right, is that, and we've talked about this, that over the years the system was built in order to kind of prevent, right, or keep minorities in that lower income bracket and now it's kind of an easy way to be racist without being outright racist you know it's like i can exclude the poor people and a bunch of minorities are included in that and yeah some white folks but hey they're poor white folks so why do i care about them the only way you're going to change that it's not by socialism it's revolution it's yeah okay bernie (laughs) overthrow the proletariat (laughs) <laughs> the only way, I mean, right now, like if when I think about it, it's a great opportunity for if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a small business person, because there are gaps. Like those gaps gotta get filled. Um, you saw that in the in the first tech bubble, the dot the, the you know web dot web, what was it called the the dot com dot com bubble. That, that's the official name. I thought it was a stupid name, but. The only way you're going to fix that is, and it's not like redistribution of wealth. I think that is a, a, a shallow like band-aid. What you do is you change the system to where you, you literally make it self-sufficient, right? And here's, here's my example of that. We need to get a lot of PPE from overseas. Well, gee, why do we need to do that? Oh, because all the companies are over there. 
Well, when you shut down travel for the most part or people aren't traveling, how will you get those supplies? Oh, you're completely sufficient on somebody else in this area. You you thought that you were so I mean, you always play you always should have a contingency plan. You should always have a plan B. You should always be thinking of how can I be self-sufficient? When you take that to the black community, not saying that you don't you exclude non-blacks from what you're doing, but you want to figure out a way to make sure that it doesn't fall apart in 20 years, whatever that may be, whether it's real estate, whether that's, you know, banking, whether that's investments. And I think if non-white cultures did that more often, you can get rid of the bigger problem. Race is still an issue. Yes. The wedge right now has nothing to do with your fruit, the color of your skin. It's about how much money you have. Well, and I mean, that, the fact that we all continue to just kind of blindly contribute to that system. Yeah. You know, like, and it's something that, I mean, I, you know, like I, I struggle with internally a lot of the times where I just kind of sit here and I'm like, man, like this whole thing just doesn't really make sense. Like there are so many parts of this that it's just like, that's not, people shouldn't be making money off of that, you know? But, and, and I do get to some degree, like, you know, I, I understand the value of capitalism in creating, you know, great products, right, ultimately, or great customer service because, you know, the ones who do that are the ones who are going to get the most business and are going to grow and survive, and the ones who don't are going to fall by the wayside. I think what you – part of what we've run into now, right, is through acquisition and consolidation, right, we don't even have, in a lot of cases, competition, true competition in certain sectors, right? So here, here's the million-dollar question, my friend. What was the last great invention that's come out of, out of the United States? The light bulb? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the personal computer? Man, not even that. I mean, computers have been around since like the 40s and 50s, right? So yeah. all we've done is we've continuously modernized more things without creating anything new. And I think... I will be I will be impressed if we get out of the economic uh, problems that we have across classes without some some of that actually happening. So I agree because I think you look at what has gotten us out of these kinds of things in the past, and it it's was innovation. well, it was innovation, but it, and it was innovation that then drove manufacturing, right? Right, and what do we not? have in this country for the most part anymore right. manufacturing right so there isn't going to be some new innovation on the internet that's suddenly going to make tech jobs right. you know like abundantly available right like that's not that's not going to happen right now um and so i i that's where i keep kind of coming back to i mean i think what it may ultimately take is something akin to you know the um this, this solution to the Great Depression, you know, where it's this massive, you know, government kind of led, you know, plan to reinvest in the infrastructure of this country and to hire the people who are out of work and train them for those jobs to help do that work. You know, whether it's rebuilding bridges and dams or paving roads, like those things have to happen. And we're not getting it done across the country at a at a rate 
you know, sufficient enough with the growth or the number of people that we're supporting. And I, I think I, I don't want to cut you off, but infrastructure is important. It's it's part of the solution, but it's not going to carry us more than twenty years, if I'm being honest. Well, like, sure, gotta, it's it's a band aid, right? But I yeah. think like that that could be the thing that gets us to that next innovation, right? Yeah. You're you're probably right it because be. and, and if nothing else, it's better than nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, I which mean, is I, probably what we're gonna end up with when it, when when it's all said and done. Well, you you touched on part of it is that there's been a lot of consolidation. There's a lot of acquisitions. Got that all day, but I think that people, companies especially, are afraid to actually come up with something new because. It's the lazy man's. Oh yeah. It's a lot easier to stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Like how many times have we heard that? (laughs) Yeah. I will tell you, I will tell you this though. I do think that there, I think that there have been small shifts that are actually pushing the, probably some of the halting of acquisitions and all, you know, consolidations. This is why, because I've been, you know, I, I watch a lot of the SAS, um, subscription model price indexes Mm -hmm. and i've watched that number go down and down and down i've watched a lot of companies offer free tiers to their their product like right especially during this period Mm -hmm. do you know why that is because everything's overpriced right it's like the ads i've seen on facebook and twitter where it's like this 1500 hundred dollar computer engineering course is now available for 49.99 and i'm like so what you're saying is it's a 50 dollar engineering course that you were charging 1500 dollars for yep <laughs> and all that once you get the prices right you you win. You'll, that's the, you that's the whole point of the game. The price yep, is right. You eliminate a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> you eliminate some of the competition because they won't innovate fast enough in their current offerings, and second, you expose different gaps to where the market doesn't actually provide. And you can probably take that same philosophy across different industries. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I just kind of feel like there's going to be innovation. But it's got to be innovation, not just modernization, basically. And it's going to be a, a handful of people that are going to figure that out sooner than later. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for that because, you know, Warren Buffett always makes money during times like this. Because while everybody else is panicking, he's looking for opportunities. Uh, another guy that I, I really liked was Peter Lynch. Same thing. When people panic, look at, you know, what's in your house? What, what things are you still buying? Like when you buy stocks, it's like, uh, for example, when I build houses, well, you, buy ha- you build houses, you know, when people are going to typically put a new roof on their house, you know, when people are going to, you know, buy stuff to put siding in their house, you should probably, and you probably can't afford to buy, um, like 3M or, or, or a company like that, but who do they use? Who do right. they buy paint from? Who do they buy whatever? Raw so materials, yeah. raw materials. So it's the same philosophy. And I think that for the people that figure it out during this time, like some did in 08 and 09, it's going to be awesome, but for everybody else, it's going to, it's going to suck. And I think that culture, you know, culturally black people should take advantage of it or pretty much non-whites. If I'm being honest, white people are going to fit They're going to be okay. Um, <laughs> Cause the struggle is real. Nobody needs but, to worry about white people. No, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. No, but, I know. Neither do I. I'm not, I'm just saying like, yeah, it, 
in general, uh, white people don't need help. Like we're fine. Like we yeah. don't, <laughs> we don't need attention. Right. It's yeah. not a all lives matter kind of deal right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> we no, haven't just, reached that point yet, folks. Can we all just agree to that? Like we have, we are not at an all lives matter <laughs> point yet. <laughs> But I, I think it's a good opportunity for non-whites to figure that out, especially for black people. You know, if you're an engineer, if you're a, um, I don't know, a neurosurgeon or a doctor, figure out things that you can do in your community to like, oh, a neurosurgeon is a doctor. But figure out things you can do that to fill those gaps. in. that's where that's where economies of scale come into play. Korea has never invented a damn thing. All they've built their economy off of is making things better, you know, um, and yeah. same with Japan. And I'm not saying they haven't invented anything, but the major innovations in, in, in my lifetime, I haven't seen them come from either one of those. Countries. No, but you I mean, and let's let's be fair that there is some value right in modernizing right and improving uh on existing technologies. And I think, yeah, like Japan, I think especially is, is so well known for figuring out how to make things super efficient, you know, right. um, especially from like a manufacturing process standpoint uh, and automation, right? Like I think that from a robotic standpoint, Japan is typically at the forefront of the kind of, you know, a, a lot of that stuff that's happening. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, this is as good a time as any, you know, for people who obviously don't have to be super concerned about, you know, catching COVID-19 and, you know, dying from it. Like if you, if you can find an opportunity, like, yeah, absolutely. It's, this is your chance to take advantage of it for sure. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, no, thank you very much. No, no, thank you. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Oh, okay, well, you can thank me. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully people are enjoying our podcast. Hopefully uh, people will get to listen to the last three episodes that we've recorded. Yeah, Chris is doing a <laughs> terrible job of being the editor right now. He um, has been, but he's going to try and catch up this week. That's what he's he telling so. himself. Yeah, I, you know, I, so I looked on the SoundCloud stats this morning and people are listening to us in very random places. So we really do appreciate it. So if it's your first time listening, thank you. Yeah. If you're our one listener in Dublin, Ireland, uh, yeah. thank you. If you're our one listener in Pune, India, thank you as well. Uh, really appreciate it. I believe we've, we've seen in the United States here, um, Mountain View, California, uh, Folsom, which is right outside my hometown of El Dorado Hills. So, probably possibly some family or friends that know me out there listening. Uh, so if you are, thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, seriously, like we, we have a lot of fun doing this, even if I don't always get around to editing them on time and getting them published. Black. Like, um, <laughs> you know, if we're being honest, I think Andre and I do this as much for ourselves and for each other as we do for anything else. So um, in that regard, the listeners and the feedback and you know all of that stuff is is greatly appreciated but it's really just kind of like icing on the cake um yeah so but as always if there's anything you know specific topics um if you're if you've got a story you want to share on you know how you're dealing with uh with what's going on with the pandemic or have any thoughts on the things that we've talked about in previous podcasts feel free to 
hit us up on the social media channels or drop us an email at the Chris and Andre show at gmail.com. Um, cause we'd be happy to add some new segments where we take some listener feedback or answer questions or, um, you know, do those sorts of things. So, and just to let everybody know, uh, since we keep all of our costs super low, <laughs> which is one We're reason on we... a very, very thin margin here, but <laughs> <laughs> which is one reason why we get to do this as much as we do. Um, <laughs> we're working on the, of the home of the Chris Andrews show, and we'll be able, hopefully able to announce that at the end of our next podcast. Once so when what... the page loads, just remember to scroll past the 35 ads that load at the top to get to the <laughs> content at the bottom. So we have to pay for stuff. Yeah. Um, and the please be sure to click on all the links in any blog post that we post. They are affiliate links. We will get paid for it. No, I'm just kidding. Like, obviously, Andre and I have talked a lot about advertising online and all that fun stuff. Um, so we are hopefully not going to put any ads up on our website. And if we do, we will tread lightly. Um yeah. Since this is all, we like, won't uh, even put up one of those uh, shitty whitelisting requests. If you <laughs> want to run ad blocks because we put ads up, I totally get it. <laughs> oh my gosh, good times! So again, I'm Andre and I'm Chris, and thanks for joining us for the Chris and Andre show. We'll see you next time. Robocop and a Transformer had a baby, what would they call it? Stoptimus Crime. Yeah, woo!